Good morning. We are grateful that you are here this morning to our visitors as well as especially our members. We're thankful for visitors being with us. However, if only visitors were with us, it'd be a pretty small crowd. So we want to always say welcome and thank you to our members for being here as well. I'm going to try not to say this every time for the next few months, but it is that season of sickness. And if you are sick, we love you and we will pray for you, but do not come to services. Uh, it's the only time we don't want you here because uh, it spreads it around and it spreads certainly very quickly among a congregation sometimes. Uh, in fact, ha- only half of my family is here today. Hannah stayed home with uh, Clayton and Campbell. We're both feeling a little under the weather, so it's kind of that time of year again already, whether we like to think about it or not. But when you're well, we want you to be here, and we are thankful that you're here this morning. We did have a great day yesterday, that's been said already, it was very encouraging, Uh, that's certainly a fitting name as Downtown Encouragement, Uh, but we know that it not only encourages those that we came in contact with and tried to uh, encourage yesterday with the things that we tried to provide, but encourage ourselves as well. Uh, We had a wonderful day, if you would be with us next Sunday morning, I would like to give a little more detailed report. Uh, I don't have all the numbers this morning, and I'd like to prepare a few thoughts based on some of that and share a lesson with you as well. But if you'll be back, be back with us next Sunday morning, I, I'd like to share a little bit more about our day yesterday. But certainly find someone who was a part of it, and they will have story upon story of how uh, the day was very encouraging for all those who participated in it. If you've got your Bible this morning, you can be turning to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I want to say thank you as well for uh, no one stoning me after preaching on losing weight last Sunday, but if you're worried that the elders are not doing their job, I left the building, I found a nice restaurant for lunch, I walked in, sat down ready to eat, and in walks Carl Harrison, and he looked at me like, you better not order an appetizer and a salad and a meal and dessert, or I'm going to go back and tell on you. Now, we sat down to eat lunch and walked Carl. I thought, of course, the elders are checking up on the preacher to make sure he's practicing what he preaches and he's not overeating at lunch. But uh, we appreciate the kind comments uh, last week and on all the lessons. Appreciate so much uh, Jeff's prayer already this morning. I have to begin by asking you a question this morning. Do you, do you, think, do you ever think about Sunday before Sunday or before Sunday morning? I don't mean that mean. I'm not trying to attack anybody. But do you ever think about Sunday and Sunday morning and even Sunday evening before Sunday? That could bleed over into several things. We often talk about our giving. The idea, of course, with our giving, that we should purpose in our heart, that we should set aside the money we're going to give. It's not something that we just kind of think of at the last moment. But what else? Are there any other particular acts of worship that maybe you think about before Sunday. I have to raise my hand. I mean, I've not been a preacher all my life. And, and being a person who would sit in the audience most of the time growing up and things, I, there are many times that I might wait to the last minute to think about something, wait till the morning of to even consider setting my mind on the things that would take place in the worship service. It's just a thought to think about what we do sometimes on Sunday. Sometimes we have reminders about that. We maybe set aside our Bible or we think about something on Saturday night. But it's important that we think a little bit about what's going to take place on Sunday. And I'm not even talking about when we eat. I meant to say it a moment ago, but don't forget we're going to be eating in a few moments. Uh, We had the leftovers from yesterday. And I'll embarrass him just a little, but uh, the the lunch is in honor of two things. I forgot to mention this a moment ago, but uh, today is Missy's birthday. And with all that Missy did yesterday, we said we'd have leftovers for Missy's birthday. And number two, 
many of you have got a chance to meet uh, Dalton Miller, uh, who's been with us for a few months now and before we even came along. Uh, Dalton told several of us last Sunday that he's going to be leaving us. He's going to be going back home uh, to the area that he's from, and so he won't be here with us, with us at services anymore. So I'm thankful he showed up today, and we'll say that it's an honor of him. Nobody tell him that. Uh, but we'll say it's an honor of him. But if you have a moment, I wanted to mention that because a lot of you have welcomed Dalton, and we're sad to see him going. But even when we eat on Sunday, do you think about anything else that goes on in particular with the worship service on a Sunday. I've already given my title away here, of course, as we think about the sermon. Yeah, the preacher puts a lot of effort into the sermon. He thinks about it, prays about it, plans for it. But do you ever consider the sermon? You know, if we were to say your task this morning, I would say your task is to tell the preacher how much you love the sermon. I don't think that's the way I'm supposed to read there. I don't think that's what exactly what your task is when it comes to the sermon. But you do have a task. And we want to think about that this morning in light of what James said. And if you've got your Bible open there in James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, James is not talking about the sermon. But James says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow with wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now, this is a, a passage here where James is giving us encouragement. And again, I, I don't think James is talking about the sermon or what you should be doing during the sermon. But at the same time, we can make a couple of points this morning for ourselves to think about it. You know, I've always appreciated verse number 21. I read from the New King James, if you've got that in front of you. It begins by saying, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. If you've got the King James Version, you're more familiar with why it's my favorite ver- one of the favorite verses to read because of the way the King James reads. The King James says, Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's always sounded kind of funny to me a little bit. I don't, I'm not sure exactly what superfluity of naughtiness is. I was looking up maybe what some of the other versions said. The English Standard Version says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. In your lives. Young's literal translation says, put aside all filthiness and superabundance of evil. Now, again, I don't know if that applies to us necessarily when we think about it, superabundance of evil. But I always thought verse 21 was kind of interesting because of the way that it reads for us. Whether it's superfluity of naughtiness or overflow of wickedness, we don't always associate ourselves with that. I mean, you're here this morning because we're trying to do the best we can. I mean, you're here because we're, we're trying to encourage ourselves and study God's Word. So evil and naughtiness and, and worldliness are not something that we consider ourselves to be a part of. But according to James chapter 1 here in 21 and 22, there are a few things that we should be doing in regards to the sermon. Number one, what you should be doing before the sermon is what James said here, laying aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness. All three of our points are going to come from these verses, but of course we're going to expound upon it a little bit. What should you be doing before the sermon? Be prepared. Be prepared. Now it's important that the preacher is prepared, sure. A lot of times we hear that in our prayers. People pray that the preacher would have a ready recollection excuse me, or something along those lines of, of being able to remember what he's you know, thought of to say. That's true. The preacher should be prepared, but you should be prepared as well. Well, how do we get prepared? Maybe we should ask the question, should we be perfect? No, we shouldn't be perfect, but we should be ready. 
We should be prepared. Unless you forget, uh, I'm not the only one who stands up here every time. I'm not up here every time a sermon is delivered. Uh, I have an opportunity as well to sit and listen to others from time to time. And these are things that I would even tell myself that I need to do. Be prepared. Not perfect, but prepared. We think about those who are mentioned in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. You're familiar with this passage here. As Luke records for us that those were more fair-minded... Those in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Sounds to me like we found a group of people who are preparing themselves, searching the scriptures daily. But notice before that even something that we sometimes skip over in the verse, but that they received the word with all readiness. This sounds to me like we have met a group of people who are prepared, prepared to hear the sermon. We oftentimes pray again and talk about setting aside the worldly thoughts. Again, if I have to be honest with you, and I should be honest with you, I have to raise my hand and say many times if I'm sitting in the audience, it's been hard for me to set aside what's going on around me. And not even just around me, and I don't mean that in the physical sense in the auditorium, but what's going on in my mind, what I've got to do later in the week. And what I've got to do, uh, even that same day, we need to be prepared before the sermon with readiness. I would say to you that includes the moments before the lesson. I would say to you that includes the morning before the lesson. I would say to you that includes the evening before the lesson as well. Some of you are football fans enough to know there was a seven overtime game last night that went way into the night. I won't ask a show of hands who, who was up late watching it. But that's all right, because sometimes we get caught up in things. We have, have a big time. You know, uh, for a lot of us who were able to go on the ark trip a, a few months ago or so, you know, we came in on Saturday night, and a lot of us felt like rolling into bed and sleeping for about three or four days. But we needed to begin preparing ourselves for being here on Sunday morning. I think as well about the words in Joshua chapter 3. You may not have thought that we'd go all the way back to the book of Joshua and talking about this lesson. But I think there's an interesting principle here. In Joshua chapter 3, the children of Israel are, are beginning to prepare to cross the Jordan. Now, not the Red Sea, but the Jordan. And, and of course, a great, occursion, a, great, a great thing occurs here in that they're going to cross over again dry ground through a, a place on the earth that is normally covered in water. And in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 5, Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow... The Lord will do wonders among you. Have you ever thought that on a Saturday night? Again, we had a long day yesterday, many of us, and it was encouraging. But a lot of us felt like we'd rather roll into bed and stay there for three or four days rather than get up and come to services this morning. But have you ever thought on a Saturday night, preparing ourselves for the Lord will do wonders among you? A lot of times Sundays don't feel like wonderful, wondrous days. No great and mighty things are going to happen, maybe. But we need to be prepared. Even on Saturday night, even on Sunday morning, even before the lesson, be prepared for what's about to take place. Thinking about the sermon. I know every sermon's not the greatest you've ever heard. All right, from me or from anybody else. I understand that, that I'm not going to wow you every Sunday with the greatest thing. It's something you've never thought of from Scripture before. But maybe you can take something. Maybe you can take a little piece of encouragement from the lesson, from something that's said. But that only happened if we're prepared, mentally and even physically prepared for a Sunday. And again, I got four kids at home. 
Sometimes Sunday morning's not the prettiest thing until we walk in the building. We try to look the nicest and best we can. All right, it's not always easy, but we're trying to be here. We're trying to be prepared as best we can. And sometimes the prayers that are prayed, the songs that are sung, and the moments before the lesson can help us as we think about not being perfect, but being prepared. Number two this morning, what should you be doing during the sermon? Now we're going to step on some toes. Oh, we go back to James chapter one. Again, James says that we need to receive with meekness the implanted word or the engrafted word. So during the sermon, we need to be prepared to receive with meekness the engrafted word. What are you supposed to be doing during the sermon? Well, yes, you're supposed to be listening. Now, some of you have seen the, the uh, best shot at humor I've got on Facebook this week with a, a little short video trying to encourage you to what you do maybe during the sermon. We asked the question, and of course, I, I sat here, for those of you who don't see that or aren't a part of Facebook, and pretended to be sleeping in the pew and passing notes and watching my phone and doing many other things, because that's sometimes what we find ourselves doing if we're not careful. But we should be listening. Perhaps you remember in Acts chapter 20, the occasion of someone who was sleeping during the sermon. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 9, we meet Eutychus, and in the window sat the certain young man who was sinking into a deep sleep. Some of you didn't think it was in the Bible, did you? And he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Yes, we remember the story of Eutychus falling asleep and what happened. And you say, well, we don't got three stories in the auditorium this morning. No, we don't. But what should we be doing during the sermon? Well, we should be listening. Everybody should be listening. And again, I speak for myself. When I'm sitting listening to someone else, I should be listening. That's the way it's supposed to work. Sure, the, the preacher is tasked with presenting God's Word, presenting it in a way that's hopefully understandable and encouraging and that we can follow along with. But even as listeners, we should be doing our best to be paying attention and listening. Maybe a better passage to look at is found in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We're not going to read the whole passage there, but if you turn over to it, you would notice that it's the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower? The idea that each one of us and people in the world are different, and sometimes we're ready to receive the word with meekness. Sometimes we've got a hard heart, and we don't want to hear what the preacher has to say. Sometimes we maybe think about it for the, the next five minutes or on the ride home, and then we get home and we turn on the television and we forget about what the preacher has said or the lesson that was taught. When you think about the, the parable of the sower, we need to think about being the good ground. And verse number 20, those who hear the word and accept it. But notice not only that, they hear the word and they accept it, but they bear fruit as well. They go forth and that, that word is not sown with nothing coming from it. I know we're getting into the winter months and it's not as easy even in this part of the world to, to drive through the countryside and see the growth of plants as it is in the summer. But, but even this week as we were driving back and forth to, to my mom's house, we noticed the cotton on the side of the road and, and all the things that are, are being harvested here towards the end before the winter really hits. But, but that, that seed is sown and it bears forth fruit. But it's only sown into our hearts and our minds when we're listening, when we're prepared and we're receiving the word. Whether that's easy and it's nice and it's a lesson that we want to hear, something that we're doing good at maybe in our life, we're succeeding in that. Or whether it's something that sort of steps on our toes or something that kind of pierces our heart, something that kind of causes us to think about maybe with the fact that we need to improve our lives. 
What should we be doing during the sermon? We should be listening. And of course, we think as well about Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. You know, I've heard preachers say from time to time, it, it almost sounds like here that there's an interruption in the middle of the sermon. You know, what should you be doing during the sermon? Not interrupting the preacher. But it kind of sounds like that's what the people do here. Notice in verse 36, Peter says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified. You want to talk about stepping on toes. Peter says, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, it almost seems like they cut Peter and the rest of the apostles off. You know, maybe Peter hadn't got to his best point yet. Maybe he hadn't got to the end. Uh, we know that they didn't sit around the night before and sort of say, well, well who's going to say this? And who's got the introduction? And, and anything like that. The Holy Spirit was helping them with what to say this first gospel sermon. But it seems like they interrupt the sermon. And they say, what shall we do? They stop the preaching because they recognize there is a problem. Now, in our country today, in our traditions, if you'll allow me to use that word today, we, nobody interrupts the preacher most of the time. We wait till he's done and the invitation is extended before we confess and come forward if, if we need to and admit something that's wrong. But, but these people here recognize there was an issue with what Peter had said. This Jesus whom you've crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. They were apparently listening and receiving the word because when they heard what seems like the last point that would be made, if it were me, you know, if it seems like the point that's going to really drive home the sermon that you crucified the Son of God, that they've got a question. They're listening and they're prepared here to make a change, it would seem like. They're going to ask the question, what shall we do? What should you be doing during the sermon? Well, we should be listening. Look, I know things happen, come up again. I've got four kids where Hannah's usually got Campbell in a headlock over here trying to keep him quiet, and, and we kind of pick at her about that. But, but it's hard sometimes, and there's things going on. I told someone yesterday uh, at the Dave Encouragement as I was telling them about this lesson, I said, you know, the preacher sees a lot. And sometimes I'll see somebody, you know, maybe with a little smile on their face, and I'll think, oh, no, what have I said? You know, what have I done? Is there something on my face? You know, I, I don't know. And a lot of times it's just something that happens, okay? Again, I've been in the pew. I know the, the child beside you makes a joke, you know, something spills, something happens, and you just kind of smile. I, I know. I got it. That's okay. I'm glad you're here. We're glad to be together. But we should be doing our best to be listening during the sermon so that we can receive the word. But guess what? That's not the end. What should you be doing after the sermon? Well, again, verse 20, 22 of James chapter 1 says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only. What should you be doing after the sermon? Well, maybe it's not the best way and the best grammar to say it, but you should be doing. You should simply be doing. If you've got your Bible and you're following along, go back to James 1 and verse 22 because James doesn't just stop there. And I want to show you what he says. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, he continues on. We stop at 22, but, but read with me, or I'll read it out loud, 23 and 24, and even 25. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So James gives us one of those examples that we think sounds kind of silly, 
and, and sounds kind of pointless. You mean to tell me that a person could look into a mirror and essentially turn away and forget what they look like? I mean, we don't, we've looked at ourselves for, for our whole lives in mirrors at various times. That doesn't make sense to us. But we do that. When we look into the perfect law of liberty, sitting right here together in class or in the sermon, and then we walk out those doors and we forget what we look like. We forget what a Christian looks like. We forget what the Bible tells us a Christian should look like. You see, we do sometimes look in a mirror and then we forget. But James says that we should look into the mirror like a mirror, look into the word of of God, look into that. And he says, what will happen for that person? Well, he'll be blessed. She will be blessed. If we look into that perfect law of liberty and we don't just listen, we don't just prepare, but we continue to do. Not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it gets hard sometimes. Because we sit here together and hopefully we hear an encouraging lesson. And hopefully you go forth and we're a little excited about what's going on. But we leave the parking lot and we get into the workforce or into the world. And we become a forgetful here and not a doer. What should you be doing after the sermon? Well, you should be doing the things that we talk about. Not just what I say, but the things that the Bible tells us to do. One more passage, if you've got your Bible, Matthew chapter 7. It's not on the screen, but Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 28. At the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's another passage about doing. Jesus, again, is concluding this sermon as it's recorded for us here. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he says, in verses 21 through 23, a familiar passage. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. We, we've been debating it and discussing it in our Bible class here in adult classroom number one, but, but the idea of love, and love is an emotion, and love and caring for people, and love is action, and love as doing for people. And that's the balance we have to try to find. But we have to be people who are doing things. But notice, if you go down to verse 24... There's a familiar passage because we sing it. And we sing it to our kids about the wise man who built his house upon the rock. But Jesus says, therefore, a continuation about those who would be doing, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, and does them, that is going to be who is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains come down and the floods come up and the wise man's house stands firm because he is doing the will of the Father, because He is doing the words that Jesus has spoken to them. As it's recorded for us in our Bibles, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, there's so much there. Uh, We could take that and, of course, spend years on it. We could take that and read it every day and every week and find the way that we should be living. And, And Jesus concludes by saying, be doing. James goes on later to say, be doers of the Word, but be doing. You know, at the beginning of the lesson a moment ago, I gave you your task. I said your task was to thank the preacher for a good lesson, and that is being a little facetious. Your task this morning is to be a preparer, to be a listener, and to be a doer. Not just this Sunday morning, hopefully not just tonight, because we'd love for you to be back with us again. But every chance, you have a chance to be here, but notice this, every chance you have an opportunity to hear God's word. Every time you open your Bible at home, be prepared. Be listening to what God has said in His Word and be doing what you read about therein. These things are not difficult. 
It requires a little bit of time, maybe on Saturday night or Sunday morning. It requires, requires a little bit of focus for, for 20 to 30 minutes on Sunday morning and, and Sunday night or even in our Bible classes. And again, where the rubber meets the road, it really requires a lot of work as we go forth into the world. And we think about doing, being a doer of what God has told us to do. There's nothing magical about the sermon. I'm, I be, I'm being facetious when I say that and say it with a smile. There's nothing magical about the words I've got or, or anything else that anyone can say. It comes down to each one of us doing what God has told us to do. Each one of us taking the moment to, to read and study and to learn His Word. That's, that's where it matters. We say all the time, each one of us must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. No matter how much you pay the preacher, no matter how much you love the preacher, no matter how much you love the sermons, he can't do anything for you when you stand before God. It's about you being prepared, listening, and doing. This morning, as we are about to sing this song of encouragement, we ask you to consider your task. Again, not just in light of the sermon, but in light of your life and your relationship with God. See, the beautiful part of being together is we sing this song as a means of convenience. We say that sometimes. It's, it is a bit of a tradition, if you will, because we're gathered together. And we're here because we love each other. Because we want to be together and we want to encourage each other. And there's no one, there's no better gathering of people than those who are here right now that love you and want to see you doing what's right and serving God. And so right now we will sing in just a moment to encourage you. If you need to become a Christian, a part of the family, being baptized for the remission of your sins so that the Lord can add you to his church, we will help you with that. We will help you be baptized. We will study with you if you want to know more. Or maybe you've done that and you've wandered away. You kind of separated yourself a little bit from the family. Maybe there's sins in your life that, that you need forgiveness of. We'll be seeking to encourage you that way as well. I, I say it oftentimes, but it's not to point and laugh. It's not to make anyone feel bad, but it's to, to strengthen each other and build each other up along the way. It's why we are here as a family to do all of these things. And this morning, maybe you are lost. You need to become a child of God. Maybe you've wandered away and you're lost. You need to come back to Him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation to encourage you. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.